BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's going on, Warriors, and welcome to episode 43 of the Weekly Warrior Podcast. Today, I have the honor of sitting down with a very close friend named Dan. Dan is a defense analyst in Washington, D.C. He shares a little bit with us about what his day-to-day looks like and how he stays connected in a very disconnected world. So sit back, relax, and discover your warrior within. All right, folks, here on this week's episode of the Weekly Warrior Podcast, we have a longtime friend of mine. His name is Dan. I can't share his last name due to the nature of his work. Um, super excited to have you on the show today. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Although I think anyone who knows anything about me after some stories are shared will know my last name. <laughs> yeah, most likely. But I'm going to do my part to not oust you to the terrorists or something like that. Um <laughs> so we're gonna start off with uh some simple stuff so i want to know who you are what do you do where do you and where do you do it all right so i am i'm sure if you ask most people i'm an asshole but no i (laughs) i am a transplant from michigan i now live in washington dc and I'm a, a defense analyst at a private company. So I mostly stare at military aircraft all day and help sell bombs to drop on villages. Wow. Not really. Not, not really. Um, that, that was cynical, but I do stare at aircraft all day. <laughs> I am guessing, though, that the nature of your work can make you fairly cynical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm pro-coronavirus right now. <laughs> so I want to backpedal a little bit. So you are a defense analyst. Um, if you had to explain this to somebody who had no idea, you know, what that realm of work looked like, um, how, you know, what would you, what would you say? How would you explain it? Okay. Well, I mean, it's a very broad term, so it's anything that has to do with national security 
on the military side and there's not much policy involved. So I don't make any decisions. I just really analyze decisions I've made and say that was dumb. Okay. So you're providing analysis, you know, post whatever the incident was. Uh, it depends. We, uh, my company does a 10 year forecast, so I can tell you, you know, how many military planes are going to, you know, be bought and sold over the next 10 years. And we look mm. at things, we look at things from, you know, this country might fall into a civil war in the next 10 years, maybe not a good idea to do business with them. They won't pay their bills or, you know, gotcha. th- this country here has a civil war. They're probably going to need a certain kind of aircraft so they can, you know, bomb their villagers in five years, that kind of thing. Right. So it's more like the chess game behind the scenes kind of um, with the mo- like the moving pieces of military materials and weapons rather than people. Yes. I, well, everything, I think of everything as the machine. So, you know, I right. see, uh, I see a video of a plane getting shot down over Syria. Oh, you know, that's a MiG 21 that went down. I don't even mm-hmm. think about the pilots. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. So I guess my my next question is going to be on a day-to-day basis what is what does your day look like? Uh, well lately it's I get in I check to see how many planes fell out of the sky there's been an unusual number of crashes and combat losses particularly for the United States really in the past 32 days now it's a lot Mm-hmm. But I check to see if there's any been any major developments. People have announced they're buying stuff, canceling stuff, crashes, just generally checking up on the news. Um, and then that's what then informs my analysis. If I have to go and decide, you know, hey, does this country still operate this aircraft or not? Because they won't tell us because, you know, Cambodia is not really friendly or, you know, how many planes does North Korea still have? Mm-hmm. So. I'll hop on like satellite imagery publicly available and dick around with that a little bit. Um, I read lots of government reports, all unclassified, lots of think tank reports. And I just Mm -hmm. try to have as broad a knowledge as possible because analysis, it takes into account economics, demographics, local politics. If you're looking at like Israel and their elections have been holding up a lot of military sales, that kind of thing. It's there's a lot. So, I mean, you're you're paying attention to the political climate kind of around the world, which I find super fascinating. And for the last couple of years, go to person when the you know, when the fear mongers in the <laughs> mainstream media are like, we're going to war with this country or that country. I always come to you and say, are we really going to go to war with them? Or is this just kind of the narrative that, you know, the the mainstream media is putting out there because you you know you that's your job you tend to know you know what the what the you know the fluid movement looks like at the moment yeah i'm being in dc inside you'll hear the beltway or the blob um yeah it's you know it's easy to be connected everyone has friends that work at dod everyone has friends who work at the hill and you get you know streams of information from everyone Mm-hmm. And thankfully, the nature of bureaucracy is everything just kind of locks up. So if you think something's going to happen, it probably won't because <laughs> the blob is its own enemy. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, something I'm really interested about is sort of how you came to this, you know, career choice. Um, I knew you for quite a long time. We played rugby together in college. 
Um, at the time, I had no idea that this was your desired, you know, path for your career. Um, I want to I want to know a little bit about your backstory. So, you know, you're you grew up in a small little town in the thumb-ish area of Michigan on a farm, if I understand that correctly. Yes. So, like, tell me a little bit about that. What was your upbringing like? Uh, Well, it was go to school, do farm chores, go to bed, go to school, do farm chores. Um, But in between, I I came into CMU, Central Michigan University, and I was like, I want to just do stuff with history. I really like history. And people are just like, oh, you, you're going to go be a teacher. I'm like, hell no, because I hate teaching. They're like, oh, you're going to work in a museum. Hell no, that's boring. What are you going to do? Right. I don't know. I'll figure it out eventually. <laughs> um, and then just one day I was perusing like a job posting kind of website. And I saw a job for uh, being an analyst in the U.S. government that did China stuff. And I was, mm-hmm. just, and I was just like that, that. This was freshman year. And I, and I was just like that. That's what I want to do. And I just I regeared everything towards getting a job like that one. I picked up a poli sci major. I went and mm-hmm. took, I went and took Chinese language courses, all of that. So I thought I wanted to do China stuff. Um, I thought I was gotcha. I thought I was getting a jump on things. Turns out everyone thought like me. There's a ton of China people, and it turns out that I'm a generalist. So as much as I like China. You know, I don't do just the Chinese military. I do all militaries. I like knowing a lot about a lot of things. Now, I might not have mm-hmm. as deep of knowledge as some other people, but sure. I, I can quickly move from region to region, country to country, and be, you know, perform very well because you never know what part of the world is going to be on fire tomorrow. So, absolutely. So, so yes. Going back to. You know, you're 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 growing up on the farm. The, the life is pretty simple. You're like you said, you're waking up, you're going to school, you're doing farm chores and you're going to bed and you're doing it all over again. So you made a really interesting leap into the really political, the bureaucracy, the, you know, the chat, like I said, the chess game of, you know, the military, you know, analyzing all these military assets and whatnot. So what was the motivation for that? for you uh they paid me money <laughs> <laughs> so i moved i moved to dc um after grad school um my fir- my first master's at cmu with about three grand in my pocket and that's about a month and a half of rent here right. and i was just like okay i gotta i gotta hustle here real quick and aviation week was the first job that first paying job i had several internships but it was my first paying job as a uh research assistant making about 12 bucks an hour. And mm-hmm. I did that. And then eventually I was just like, Oh shit, I need healthcare. I need all these things. Um, my, my, my lovely then girlfriend at the time, I'm like, I need to be able to afford to buy her dinner. So I, uh, I actually took a job as a contractor at DOD and mm-hmm. deep in the deep bureaucracy. Let me tell you, I was the personification of red tape. I didn't, right. I didn't do anything cool. I didn't do anything, you know, like, sexy or like a spy (laughs) no no, i i was i was red tape um some of the things i worked on um ultimately after i got out were pretty cool like marines united i don't know if you know about if you remember that that was the the marine facebook page doing um all the sexual harassment oh yeah 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 
So I was involved in an effort with that. I was involved in like a multi-million dollar like survey of uh, industry, the defense industry. But, and then Aviation Week realized that I was actually worth something. And they're like, we will give you more money if you will come back. I'm Mm. like, yes, because this is a very expensive city to live in. Yeah, Um, for sure. So yeah, uh, and that's it. But it turned out, you know, I've been there now for just over two years again and i actually i love it i'm good at it and yeah so i'm i'm happy doing planes it's not what i thought i was going to be doing my first game here but it turns out think tanks pay for shit yeah i was gonna say i remember a couple of years ago it was while i was when i just first initially moved to colorado you and i were talking and you were you were doing a lot of it was completely different you know it was um your focus was not on planes at that point. It was like a completely different animal. Um, and I, and in my defense, I never quite knew what you were doing as a job <laughs> because it was so fluid. Like you were always moving from like one thing to the next and like analyzing this. And then all of a sudden it was this. And all of a sudden it was that, which is actually, it was really interesting to me because it makes you become so well-versed in so many different things, which is, interesting because looking at your education what like you had to put in a lot of work schooling wise to get where you're at what is like what is your educational uh you know requirements or what have you done to get where you're at uh so you have to have a degree from a dc area school um so i got my master's at cmu and i promptly had to come to dc and get a second master's and it was quite infuriating because I applied to an internship, an unpaid internship with a master's in DC. Right. And I did over the summer of 2015 before I moved there and I didn't get it. And then I got accepted into GW. I applied for the fall program, same position, hadn't even gone to uh, George Washington University yet. All I did was put it on my resume and I got the position. I, I paid an ass load of money just to put that on my resume. Yeah. Uh, but that, that, that was the nature of it. Um, so I realized... I had to have what's called a practitioner's degree. So I don't do theory. I don't do big ideas. Not so much anymore. I teach big ideas. I I teach online for CMU now, but Mm, it was, it was, it was a lot of practical knowledge. I took a class on defense analysis and understanding the engineering design behind how do you build a tank? How do you build a plane? How do you build a missile? I took classes on, you know, fundamentals of intelligence i took a class specifically on the chinese military and we analyzed how china would invade taiwan that's stuff you you know that you don't get at cmu or any any middle of the country university for the most part so yeah um but once i had that the the credibility boost was astronomical i could be talking out in my ass but hey i'm from the elliott school at gw instant credibility which is actually quite bad for you know it but i'll take it right i mean in the in the world that you live in it's you have to be able to talk and i mean obviously like we all know politicians most of them talk out of their asses anyway so it's kind of an important skill to have if you're going to be in dc everyone from the senator down to their lowest intern on the hill from dod to a think tank you know research assistant they all talk out of their asses me included exactly yeah (laughs) i'm glad that you can admit it i think that's the difference between you and a lot of the other ones you're you're like yep absolutely (laughs) yeah yeah i don't Um, know anything about venezuela but if you want to talk venezuela i got some ideas for you right exactly i can make it 
lot. <laughs> um, so you've talked a lot about China. China was sort of your passion. It was sort of your, you know, introduction into the world that you're in. Yeah. Um, and you spent, was it six months in China? Oh, I studied abroad there for about four. Um, and then I did a couple other trips there. So I've, I've been to, I've been to like Shanghai, Beijing, Xi'an. I've been all over. Yeah. So I want to talk, um, I want to talk about the time you spent in China, um, with the, the time that you spent there, how did that kind of assist you in the position that you're in now? So what did you gain from that? That was, whether it was life experience or, um, like, you know, actual applicable job experience what did you kind of gain from that time oh god um so i gained well i gained a lot that was my first time really traveling anywhere um you know canada and michigan doesn't count for shit um (laughs) but yeah so i went to i i lived in shanghai which is one of the world's largest cities um i met people from around the world shanghai is a lot like new york so I, I would go to the bar at night and there would be people from Ukraine, Kazakhstan, Peru, um, where else would people, everywhere. Um, there's a couple of people from like Burundi and I met all these people and I got to ex- talk to all these people and talk about, you know, their experiences. Yeah. And I remember talking to a guy from Azerbaijan who says that he was a little bit older and he remembers when Soviet tanks ran through the capital of Baku and he could remember tank shells firing outside of his apartment. And I'm just like, wow, this is, wow. you know, I'm like, this is a whole new perspective. And it, it was a lot of yeah, getting acquainted with the real world, talking to people from China, China, by the way, in 2012 is radically different from China of today. It was, there was nightclubs everywhere. The, there was bars everywhere. I've learned from the couple of friends I still have that, that they've closed down almost all of these things. They're all gone. Hmm. Interesting. But, it was, and it, it was a good experience. And for a while there, you know, people like to see that you could study abroad and you could experience a new culture and this and that professionally, it's been a huge detriment. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. Tell me about that. So if you want to work in the U S government, especially doing any kind of thing that I like to do, you need a security clearance. Yes. Studying abroad will slow that down dramatically making friends with foreigners slows that down dramatically. Mm -hmm. You you have to report all these, you have to do all sorts of things and it makes it very tough. So my, my, whenever I talk to students at CMU, because they reach out to me for advice through the alumni network, or I talk to anyone, I tell them, don't do it. Believe it or not. If you want to travel the world, find a job that'll pay you to do it. My job now sends me to Singapore. It sends me all around, you know, Mm -hmm. Find a job that'll do it. If you want to work in the U.S. government and they want you to, you know, learn Arabic, they'll send you to the Defense Language Institute to learn it. There's no need to go to Amman, Jordan and, you know, slow your career down by up to possibly two years because you you learned, you know, a couple sentences you forget by the time you actually get out of school. Right. Yeah, I remember when you were going through that security process, um, I had... A guy when I was when I was living in Denver or outside of Denver, I'm sorry, but the the guy had you know called me, set up a meeting with me. I, we met in this little tiny like coffee shop um, in Canyon City, Colorado, and like he's asking me all these really. Uh, I wasn't expecting the questions he was asking me because they were very personal. It wasn't like 
Um, it wasn't just uh, like confirming your character. It was, what do you know about the nature of his work? Um, what do you know about him when you, you know, when you were close with him in college, you know, what was, what was he like? And so it was really interesting going through that because I'm sure they probed a lot of people. Oh yeah. Um, cause at that point you're getting, you know, a pretty, I would say a pretty high level of clearance, security clearance. So, and, well, technically, yes, but that was, that was for my job of just being a, a paper pusher at DOD. And I left oh. before I left before I even completed the process. I went back to aviation week, which is a private company. Yeah. Wow. So that all of that was for you to, like you said, be a lowly, you know, paper pusher. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Cause he, yeah, like I said, he was really invasive. Um, that's, that's really interesting though. I want to go back to when you were talking about you're sitting in these nightclubs and these bars and whatever, and you're meeting all these people. Um, first of all, this, I mean, I, the story, like, especially when you're talking about the Soviet tanks rolling in and the guy remembers this happening and he remembers them, you know, firing shells all over the place. And it's like, I'm, I'm sure who, who knows what he actually experienced, but I find that amazing because you had the opportunity to really understand other cultures and really like completely immerse yourself into whether it was Chinese culture um, or whoever you were talking to in that moment. Um, did, do you think that, I mean, does that help you as a person to be able to like immerse yourself like that and be able to talk to those people and understand their culture? Yeah, it, it reminds me that my viewpoint, my experiences aren't the only ones in the world. And the way I think about things or what I think is right or what I think is wrong is, you know, out of 7 billion other people. So I would talk to these people and I'd tell them like, oh, you know, I think I'd almost, you know, <laughs> mansplain to them. But for, you know, white dudes from America, I'd be like, oh, you know, blah, 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 blah. And they'd be like, well, actually this or that. And then I'm just like, oh, okay, that's right. You know, <laughs> I'm not from there. You actually had the experience. You know, right. what, I, what I learned in the textbook is shit. And it, I made a lot of close friends and it reminds me to this day. And it helps, it helps me do my analysis today. What, does, what makes sense for a military to buy, you know, from the U.S. perspective is different from what makes sense for that country to buy from its own perspective. So it gives you a kind of a bigger depth of knowledge to make decisions because you have that gained perspective from those other people. Yeah. It, it, I have a, a more, hmm, a, I have just a better way of thinking about things sometimes because of these experiences. It helps a lot. Yeah. I think that's awesome. That would be one of my, probably my favorite part. If I were to do the study abroad, that would have been my favorite part for sure. Um, so with China, I want to know, what your favorite story was that you're willing to tell? <laughs> oh, um, that I'm willing to, uh, yeah, I'll tell anything. But, there's, um, there's some stuff I'm sure that, you know, we'll have to talk about off air, but uh, the like whatever your favorite story was that you're willing to share would be, I'd love to hear it. So not from the time I did the long study broad stint, but I did about it. I did a two week trip the year before as well. And that, that one, we went between Beijing to Xi'an to Shanghai. And that's when I fell in love with Shanghai. I was like, oh, I want to study abroad there eventually. But a whole bunch of us, of the student cadre, we somehow, 
through word of mouth or asking people found a club in Shanghai called Rich Baby. And we all went out to this club and I'd never been to a club outside of the wayside in my life. So, <laughs> oh so God, <laughs> we, we walk in and it was insane. The lights, the music, the people, things going on. People are doing these things called like a flaming Lamborghini. It's like a tower of on fire shot glasses. I just remember thinking, I'm like, this is the world outside of Michigan. I want more of this. Mm-hmm. The, the, you know, some of, I'm still friends with some of those people. It was just that we were out to like four o'clock in the morning. Uh, we, we somehow, a girl who was not even in our group from Portugal managed to come back with us. And then we spent like three hours, like from like, the, from like four to like seven o'clock in the morning, trying to get this girl back to where she belonged. <laughs> it was crazy. I still remember her, it was Louisa and I'm just like, okay, you're not in our program. Where the hell did you come from? It was, it was a lot of fun. Her, her friend came and picked her up and then I had to get on my own taxi to go back to the airport to fly back to the u.s wow yeah i can that sounds awesome um so and especially since uh people aren't going to know what the wayside is but the wayside is a is a nightclub so to speak in mount pleasant michigan um if you can imagine uh, a pretty trashy like there's cages there's a big dance floor and there's a lot of drunk college students. Every college town has pretty much one of those um, to give some context to it. And then you go to this big flashy nightclub in the middle of Shanghai. And yeah, I can imagine your mind was blown. <laughs> yes, it was incredible. And then like when I went back, you know, and studied abroad there, I was just like the first place we went when I came back to Shanghai. I'm like, we all need to go back to Rich Baby. Oops. Oh, yeah. Good old Rich Baby. And you said that like that place or places like that are closed now. Yeah, a lot of them are gone. Um, the bar we used to go to every single night before we'd go out to the clubs, they closed that down. They actually bricked up the gate. We used to call it the back gate that led out to like this local street where these bars were, and they bricked it up. You can't even get there now. Why is that? <laughs> um, so I was there when uh, the current president or premier of China, Xi Jinping, was uh, elected, appointed, whatever the hell um, happened at that plenary. And it's just been a whole different culture. He's, he thinks that they, you know, they slid too far to openness and freedom of expression. And he's gotcha. trying to wrangle it back in because ultimately the survival of the Chinese Communist Party, the CCP, is the number one objective. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to give people the taste of too much of the good life. They'll keep asking for more and then they'll wonder why the CCP is stopping them. And then there's no CCP and that's bad to them. So they basically had to like pull the reins back because people were getting a taste of essentially like Western capitalism. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, China now will practice what they tell you, like capitalism with Chinese characteristics and all that socialist characteristics, but yeah, they were getting too much of the the U S version. Yeah. That's what that's, I guess that's a a more accurate way to say it. Like the, uh, the American experience. (laughs) Yeah. But Um, it was, it was glorious. I mean, it sounds, yeah, it sounds awesome. So what was your biggest takeaway from the time spent in China? Uh, my biggest takeaway was that, you know, we are more like than not like talking to people oh. in China. It, it, it was crazy how much, especially then, you know, they talk about some things and, 
everyone there, you know, everyone there loved Kobe, speaking of, everyone loved Yao Ming, of course, you know, but everyone there played basketball and I'd go and I'd just play hoops with random Chinese people and they'd talk about the same things, the same things that college kids anywhere would talk about. Mm-hmm. It was remarkable. It was remarkable. Um, despite, you know, 3,000 miles, more than 10,000 miles difference, um, doesn't matter. Humans are humans everywhere. So stop treating people yeah. like that's amazing. That's like, honestly, that's a huge takeaway because I think that it's easy, especially in our day and age with all the technology we have to kind of put ourselves in, uh, what do you call it? Like you put yourself in a, like a dome of just people that you, uh, kind of, um, see yourself agreeing with. So like Facebook has Facebook groups and you join groups that have like-minded people, but, I think people are missing like what you did. You went out and explored and you saw like, wait, we're all pretty similar. We just treat each other like assholes because we don't, a lot of times people don't allow for that connection. So. Yes. And it's, that's, what's aggravating. That's, you know, the, the, the echo chambers and the bubbles and this and that everyone, it should be, it should be a rule, a government, government subsidized trip you know, to a different country, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. The government will pay, should pay you at least once to go experience, you know, a different culture, some hardships, some adversity, how the rest of the world lives. Yeah. I, I would gladly give up some of my tax money for that. Right. I, instead of paying for, you know, some other program that does like building the wall, I'd rather yeah. pay for that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so I want to, change course a little bit here so you in high school college um you were an athlete you played rugby you played football in high school um wrestling and judo and you did yeah i was gonna say you were big into judo too um so now with it i guess my question is your your work is very intensive you're you're dealing with a lot of big moving pieces that are um you know, on a global, on a global scale affect people. Um, so how do you find balance with, you know, your career, your daily, your job and stuff outside of that, that really, you know, kind of sets you on fire a little bit that you're passionate about. Is there balance? How do you find balance and what does that look like? Oh God. Um, I was just thinking about this. So this is something I've just recently started trying to correct, actually. Because mm-hmm. in my day job, you know, I read everything about military planes, the military defense, and then I come home and I read books. Like I'm staring at my bookshelf right now. And I have a book on the Israeli air wars. I have a book about the Iraq war. Mm-hmm. I'm staring at a book staring at a book called Literally Extreme War. There's Cyber War. There's, you know, all these Tom Clancy books about war. I'm, and I was just like a couple of months ago, I was just like, okay. I need to read something else. And so I started reading actually more classical books. So I'm going through Ernest Hemingway right now. H.P. Oh, Lovecraft. Nice. <clears throat> and yeah, I literally, I, it's a conscious thing almost every single day for me not to be in the same stuff at work as when I come home or I'll come home and I play video games. All my video games are about blowing shit up. I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, like, this is yeah. what I do every day. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I, it's, it's a very conscious effort every single day to pull myself out of it. So it's easy to get like sucked in to, you, you know, cause your life is revolving around this war or like 
war games, the chess, the chess board. It's easy to get sucked into that all the time. Yes. And even, even my side work, you know, I, I do, um, geospatial analysis for a startup company. What do I do? I still at, I uh, stare at, um, planes on the tarmac. I stare at, you know, naval ships, this, that. <coughs> so I, yeah, it's, I go to the gym, I read books. I try to, uh, you know, are find you different still, things. Are you still playing rugby? I know for a little while in DC, you were playing, you're playing with a men's club. Yeah. The DC renegades. Um, right around, so I played last spring for the first time since I came to DC for a while there. I didn't want to, um, I keep coughing. Ooh. <coughs> I didn't want to play because I didn't want to come into work with a smashed up face, but eventually I was just like, I miss it. I don't care. And then that literally that, that week I came in with like a cracked eye and I had to go to Colorado. And that's when I met you last. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. March I had, the week before I had gotten like a big, like bruise on my face. So I'm like, great. Now I have to go to this work conference in Colorado. Um, Looking like a badass. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I, I played with them, but then I got real, I was traveling so much for work and I was traveling so much. And like, I literally, I didn't go to like a single game. I, I'd go to practice. I do my sprints and then I couldn't even play. I'm just like, ah, and then I got even busier in the fall. I'm pretty busy this spring, but I think I might go to try to go to some practices. The problem is now I live so far away. I've moved out deeper into Northern Virginia and they practice in the middle of Washington, DC. Oh, gotcha. I could find another club, but I don't know. I really like those guys. So. Yeah, I completely understand that. Um, I think that it's interesting. So you're, we're talking about, um, fitness, working out, trying to kind of separate yourself from your work a little bit. How does that impact your relationships, whether that be with family members, whether that be with, you know, your fiance, um, or even just friends in general? Um, do you find that it's hard to, to keep that balance as well? Yeah. I mean, trade-offs, there's gotta be a loser somewhere. Um, but I mean, I go to the gym after work and I actually go with a coworker. Um, he's a, a really good friend of mine. So I see him there. Um, mm -hmm. I talk about going to the gym with like my grandpa. Um, cause he's always been a big advocate of going to the gym. He's the one, I think I told you before he's, he's been, uh, like railroad ties with his hands when he mm -hmm. was younger. Yeah. Real beast. Yeah. So he always enjoys hearing about going to the gym. Um, really, really the biggest loser is probably Lauren, my fiance, cause that's time I don't get to spend with her. Right. How do you guys kind of, how do you, how do you make it work despite, you know, cause she has a pretty demanding work education, um, all that type of stuff. How do you guys, how do you guys make that work? Uh, by remembering how much rent is in DC if you're not with someone. No. Uh, <laughs> classic Dan. Classic. <laughs> no, I mean, we still, so, I mean, more credit to her she'll she'll force it you know she'll be like you know nope date night we we, we go in somewhere or mm -hmm. you know she'll pull me by the ear and be like this needs to happen you need to have time i'm like okay yeah I'll, right I'll, I'll moan and grumble but then she's she's ultimately right trying to look around to see if she can she's not here okay good <laughs> you don't want yeah i'd hate to i'd hate to say yeah you're right <laughs> um i think it's interesting hearing that because of the nature of your work does that kind of 
change the way you view people? Because I know you, I've known you for a while, and you've always been a very logical, realistic, and somewhat cynical person. Um, I remember in terms of uh, when I was first like entering the dating game, you gave me a lot of advice on how to kind of like weave, like weave in and out of this weird world. Um, because you saw it in a different way than I did. I was more attached to the emotions of it, but you were like, you know, these are, these are pieces on a board and here's how you move them. And here's how you, you know, whatever. Um, that's kind of how you've always been, but with your work now, which, you know, furthers that, does that, has that changed the way you view people even more? Uh, yeah, I mean, well, more I am more cynical. I, but my overriding philosophy is I believe any one individual person ultimately is a good person. My biggest gripe is with society. I think as you aggregate humans together, they turn into bigger shit bags. Um, so, but it really, I tr- I try to remember to be more and more compassionate as things get worse and worse. I try to remember that most part people are good and just want the best for themselves. And what's best for one person's, you know, again, there's always got to be losers. It's just the way the world is. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. Um, I think that's really interesting because you know, the kind of faceless um, sort of the disconnect of your work and you've made an intentional decision to choose to see things in a more compassionate way. So I think that's really interesting. What was there a motivation behind that? Like in looking at it like that? Cause I know I'm, I've been reading uh, a book about Navy SEALs and they talk a lot about people that they're, you know, a mission is it's not a, it's not a person, it's a target, it's a job. Um, it's complete detachment. So I find it interesting that you're talking about actually trying to connect more and see them from a more compassionate, um, a compassionate side. So what motivates you to do that? Uh, well, it was literally actually trained into me when I was at uh, the Institute for the study of war. Huh? Um, that's, I was there back when Russia put boots on the ground in Syria and I was staring at, you know, anti-tank missiles hitting uh, Syrian and Russian tanks and there'd people be jumping out of it on fire. They'd run around and just kind of drop. You just go, huh, scratch one tank. You, you know, you just ignore the people. Right. And then they, they'd eventually, you know, the people like the, the leadership ISW told all of us, they're like, you know, this is hard work looking at these things, writing about these things. You know, they, they introduced the concept, the concept of eye bleach. If you ever feel like you've stared at too many things blowing up, they're like, here's a list of websites like Daily Squeak, Cute Kitten, Daily. Like, they're like, go and stare at these things. There, there was, uh, they gave us blogs about, you know, like, you know, something good happened to me today. Or, you know, there's a blog about, you know, people sharing uh, kind interaction with strangers. And that was it. Like, they're like, balance. You're like, you know, you stare at tanks for 45 minutes read 15 minutes of good things happening in the world and that's mm. where it first started from there it's like i have to you know i take about 10, about 10 minutes of every day at work you know i'm staring at stuff i'll go and i'll read something just completely unrelated to work and i'll read you know blogs about just hum- just daily human life and it helps yeah that's really interesting because it forces you to reconnect to something that's not just constant you know, like you said, war and death, and it's not just a number anymore. Um, so that's, that's really interesting. 
I am wondering, I know from time to time you still go back home to Michigan and go to the farm. Um, when you go there, do you feel that some of the solitude and kind of the stillness um, and the nature of the work at the farm, uh, does that help rejuvenate you? Do you feel like taking that time to sort of let things be quiet um, and connect yourself back to something like that helps you with decision making or idea forming, you know, when you return to work? Well, I don't know about quiet. My grandpa yells a lot. Um, for anyone listening, I was raised by my grandparents. Um, and my brother now runs the farm and he takes care of my grandparents as well. But I, I, I go home and it's, you know, I go home. And it's like, all right, time to pinch cattle. That means cutting their nuts off. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it serves as a good reminder that, you know, I can't fuck up too badly because I don't want to go back to doing that every day. Um, right. But so, I mean, it's good motivation, but I enjoy I enjoy going back to well the way things used to be and like how much I didn't take it for how much I took it for granted back then. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it was, it's actually a nice life. Um, so yeah, but I, I go back quite often. I try to now, um, but yeah, I helped my brother with cattle. We, you know, built a barn like a couple of years ago. He did most mm-hmm. of the work, but it's good. I, and I miss it and I keep, and I always remember like, it's this kind of stuff that made me who I am for better yeah, or worse for sure yep <laughs> so and you know everyone should have that kind of experience it's sort of given you some, it's given you further perspective um and also kind of instilled a work ethic uh, into you as well cuz i mean your diet consists of war right you know what i mean like your work your diet that you're you're whether mm-hmm. what you're reading what you're watching on tv whatever you're and when you're a farmer that's what you are that's what you do you do it from sun up to sundown, and then, you know what I mean. You do it all again the next day. Um, yes, so when I, you're, go ahead. Oh, I'm I'm uniquely adapted to going through the grind. Yes. Yeah. It's not really. It's just how. Like that's life. That was life for you growing up. So, um, I think when you transition back to the hustle and bustle of Washington D.C., um, I've been to Washington D.C. twice. Um, for about a week each time. And I know how just, it's a rat race. Um, so do you find that you're able to ever take time, you know, whether it be to meditate or just take time where things are kind of, you're able to sit and just think and have things be still, is there time for that? Or do you, do you not make time for that? Uh, so I'll, uh, I forget which episode it was. You did one a couple a couple back about, you know, I think it was Bones, actually, uh, who talked about, you know, waking up early and taking some time to, like... Yeah, we just released that one uh, yesterday. Yeah, that was the <laughs> one, yes. Okay. The, they all blur together. No. Um, but that's... So, like, like today, I got up around, you know, I got up the same time I get up for work, even though I don't have to. And I read a couple of chapters of Hemingway. I did some... I find cleaning the apartment and doing chores to be a little calming. Mm-hmm. Within, within reason now i don't want to do too much <laughs> but yeah. um but that and you know i have about a 45 minute commute into the city on the train mm-hmm. and you know i put in i'm a big big music person i have you know i've listened to spotify for hours every single day at work on the commute so i you know i put in music and i listen to the lyrics and i think or you know sometimes i just zone out and listen to the music but that's all time right there. 
um, sometimes me and my coworkers, my coworkers and I, we'll go up to the roof of our building and we'll just chill out there and be like, all right, we need a break. And we'll just talk about, uh, we'll talk about video games. We talk about like Warhammer 40 K. We're all big fans of that. Yeah. Um, stuff like that. Yeah. Awesome. I think, I think it's great that you're still able to at least on a, you know, day-to-day basis, find time just to do that for you. Um, so sort of getting close to wrapping it up. You told me that you're going to, dubai pretty soon um can you tell me maybe you're going you know tell me a little bit like what what's happening there why are you going there what's going on so aviation week the the company i work for um it's many things it's aviation week network and one of the things they do is events and they host a series of events called mro's so that stands for maintenance repair and overhaul um so a military aircraft let's say an F-35, which is the big stealth aircraft everyone knows about these days. Let's mm-hmm. say that costs $100 million, one version of it does, to buy. Over the course of that aircraft's lifetime, it'll cost three, maybe four times more to maintain it. Sure. <clears throat> so that $100 million aircraft is actually close to four, $500 million. That's a lot of money for a lot of companies that you know repair engines, repair wing flaps, do this or that. Right. So... So we had these events and like back in September, I, I actually went to Singapore and presented like, oh, you want to, you know, contract with the militaries in the region to repair their military helicopters or their fighters or whatever. Well, here are the trends, you know, uh, put your money into this fighter, but not that one, because that one's that one's shrinking in the next 10 years and this and that. So it's again, like I said, it's helping companies that deal with the military make money. Right. Um, and our next event is in uh, Dubai. So up in the air, if I go or not, uh, I almost had to go to Singapore again, like next week. Um, but unfortunately I don't, and I don't really want to now because of coronavirus. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but you know, odds are that this sometime this spring, I might be going to Kuala Lumpur for work. That's in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. Um, I might be coming, going back to Colorado for that space event. Um, I try because as an analyst, I'm uniquely familiar with our data products and everything, but I'm also capable of talking to people. So lucky me, I get to get to do both. Dude, that's so cool though, that you get to go and experience the other country. I think, I think that's the cool, one of the coolest parts of your, the, the realm that you work in is it's like a paid trip to, you know, wherever in the world. I think that's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually uh, fingers crossed. I might be going, hopefully I'm going to make a case for it. I got to make my case go to a Bremen, Germany for like this oh, big man. space co- space conference in November. That'd and be so just, yeah. cool. That would be so cool. I went to Germany when I was very young and I've always wanted to go back. But again, it's on my dime. It's not on the it's not on the government. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well yeah. So I I'm I'm very appreciative of Aviation Week for that. And they, you know, they want me to work hard. I'll work hard. Send me places. Right. Let me do fun stuff. I'll work hard. <laughs> Um, all right, last question. And we ask all of our guests this question. Um, so what does being a warrior mean to you? Uh, to me, it means cliche. No, we'll, we'll start with the cliche. You know, it means it doesn't, it means not giving up. It means, you know, working through adversity and understanding that there's ups and downs, but it also means to me, you know, showing compassion you know, being a warrior doesn't mean being cruel. It means mm. being 
it means, you know, doing the right thing, even when it's hard. Wow. That is a very, I actually, we've done, you know, 15 to 20 guest episodes. I don't think anyone's ever said doing the right thing and also having compassion. I love that. I'm I'm writing it down right now. I love it so much. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. That'll be in my next tattoo. Yeah, right. There you go. Um, well, listen, I appreciate you being on here today. I really enjoyed learning more about this and what you do on a day-to-day basis. It's always been really interesting to me. I've never quite really known what you do, um, which is why I was really excited for the interview. So I really appreciate your time and explaining it. Yeah. I mean, anytime, you know, um, well, I mean, we're going to be talking a lot here in my wedding, so you're stuck with it. Oh yeah, I know. (laughs) I needed some context. So like, we have stuff to talk about when I'm down in Florida. Sarasota, it's going to be beautiful. Oh, yeah. All right, man. We'll talk soon. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. Peace out. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Weekly Warrior Podcast. We sincerely appreciate you being here with us. And if you would consider sharing the Weekly Warrior with a friend or family member, that'd be pretty great, too. If you haven't already done so, leave us a rating and a short review. Also, check out our Instagram page at Weekly Warrior Podcast for more warrior content. Thanks again for being here with us, and we hope you'll join us next week when we discover the warrior within.